welcome to Never Rewrites. I'm Isaac Askew. And I'm Jeffrey Sherman. And today we're going to discuss getting started with brownfield testing. So Isaac, what is, should we start with what is brownfield testing? Yeah, what's your definition? My definition is just uh, old code, testing old stuff. My definition is testing code that it doesn't have tests. Mm. It doesn't have to be old. But it's when you're coming in and you're testing. So there's some code, it's written, it's in production, and it's not tested. Like it doesn't have unit tests. And so it's brownfield because it, it exists and it's in production. And usually the original developers are long gone. Mm -hmm. And now you have to come in. I guess it's a better way to say it. It's, it's testing existing code that isn't, doesn't have tests and you didn't write it. If you ah. wrote it yourself, like if you wrote the original code, then you have some understanding that's beyond the, well, just read the code. So this is any code that exists in production with little to no tests and you didn't write it. That would be my definition. I like that definition, actually. Because I was considering, like, even even with context, like yesterday, you from like four years ago writing something could still be considered brownfield because you might have just forgotten if you didn't document or something. But I like this one better. This one's easier to target. Okay. So you have brownfield code. Mm -hmm. What is the first step that you do to get rid of to, or why do you even care about brownfield code? It's in production by definition. Uh, that's it's actually <laughs> <laughs> well. That's actually kind of like the the first step. I think. Uh, why do you care about it? Like, what is the problem that you're solving? Um, unless you're just doing like katas or something. Like, there's not really much of a point to test it. And let's unless somebody came to you and was like, "Hey, this is." breaking a lot and every time it breaks it causes downtime and we have to pull a developer off and we lose like 20 hours a week of developer time trying to tinker with this thing we need to fix this the right way and to do that we need to add test coverage that might be a point okay so if if it's in production and it's working and there's no tests mm -hmm. and no one's complaining and you don't want to change it i think our recommendation here is don't don't yeah. poke the bear but if it ain't broke don't fix it yeah if you, if you do need to change it because it's either broken or you want to do something new, mm -hmm. now you have a reason to touch it. So now yeah. you need to start testing. And yeah. by the definition we just came up with, this is code with limited to no tests. Mm -hmm. So you know what it does in a general sense because it's in production and you have a general idea, but you don't know the specifics. Right. Yeah, so that's a good... Like, like I kind of mentioned a moment ago, the, uh, like a, a good example is if someone says, okay, now we need to extend this code. Um, it's brittle. It usually causes a lot of problems. And here, here's a reason to change the code. And like you put a developer on it and like, they're like, okay, I'm trying to add, I'm trying to extend this mm -hmm. and extending it's very difficult without like a ton of hacking apart this really tangled code. And that's very dangerous. Um, so that's when you, you finally go, okay, now this, we know what to test. We have a reason to test. Um, in that case, uh, the easiest thing to do uh, is, I guess, jump into the area that that's affected. Let's say it's like, um, I'm trying to think of a good example, like a, you're trying to extend a, a CRM capability. You're trying okay. to add new contacts or something and change the way that behaves. And let's say it's like built in an old framework. Um, it's just like a 3000 line long <laughs> scripts. Uh, you submit the form to the same page instead of an API and you know, and you, you can't change one thing without <laughs> breaking the other ones. 
So let's say, um, let's go more specific. So we've sure. got a CRM thing and let's say there's a new validation rule. Yeah. And okay. the way the validation rules are written, they're in line in this 3000 line long line, long function. Mm -hmm. Just to make the uh, example more concrete. And so the developer's like, well, I can add, you know, it's very easy to see where I would add in this case, the code but actually being able to test it or know what to do and not break something subtly elsewhere. Mm -hmm. uh, and from experience with those kinds of things, there's a lot of, oh, well, in this code path, this variable isn't set, but you don't really know that <laughs> unless you trace through it and try to figure out why the value's null here. Right. So is part of our definition that we've kind of overlooked that the code also has to be difficult to test? Like it's design built in a way that's not particularly testable or is that just i think we're we, going we to could. the worst case we but to, it's... <laughs> yeah i don't think we need to get so granular like with like what exactly it is because i think in general if it's very old you didn't write it uh and it's in production then it probably is a little bit difficult to go back through and add tests to it okay. um but yeah well, let's just say sure it's it's also <laughs> difficult in this case well i'm just i'm trying to think of the scenario where we're helping the the listener dear listener mm -hmm. and the the code is hard, you know, there are no tests and presumably mm -hmm. it's because adding tests would be hard at this point. Yes. Right. So that's the main thing when you, when you hear people like, if they're trying to test or refactor old legacy code bases, uh, their main problem is either they can't write tests because uh, the code is is too bad to test, like you can't write a unit test on something because there's just so much of the page. You have to mock the whole page, basically. Mm -hmm. There's not small little functions you can write unit tests for. It's like, I have to set up globals on this page, set up the entire thing and host it. Uh, and that might actually be the case. Um, so either you have to do that or uh, you have to find kind of maybe a QA process that's essentially acts as your scaffolding. Um, so what, I'm, what I mean by that is, if you do have tests, if you, if you do have a really old file that you can't really test easily through a testing framework like unit tests or integration tests, then there's other methods by which you can still set up scaffolding to cover happy paths such that you can go in there and refactor the code to write better tests on top of that to make it better again after the tests are fully covered or fully covering your code. Okay, so I think what you're saying is if you're in a really terrible spot, mm -hmm. the way that you would start getting test coverage on your brownfield code, you would literally ask, or you would document the whatever QA processes you do have yeah. by like writing down what the human manual human steps are. Exactly. So that you could hopefully start figuring out how to automate those steps. Yeah, if you look at some complicated entangled code and there's no way to add an automated test for it, what you're left with is um, QAing instructions like what is a like um, like for your validation example? If I go through and try to click and submit this form, uh, it should behave this way. I can confirm it, you know, through these steps manually. You have to write it down manually to begin with, um, and then after right. I add validation, uh, if I try to submit, uh, the validation kicks me out and says he eh, didn't submit a value that was required or something like that, and then I can confirm that on the page. Now, I've certainly had to do that where it's check the database, click yeah. a bunch of things, and then check the database. And it's brutal, but that's 
a test. And it doesn't have to be automated. I mean, sorry, it doesn't have to be manual too in that in that fashion. There are some really cool tools out there um, that can help you along that. Like one of them that we've used before is Testum uh, by Tricentis. Um, it basically makes recording, uh, clicking in a browser, mm-hmm. um, easily recordable and replayable. So you could go to a page, click record, then click a bunch of things, hit stop, and it will make essentially a little Selenium bot for you from that whole flow That's cool. of, of, of your clicks. And so while you began with an, a manual need for it, you can record that manual thing and replay it really easily without having to have a whole bunch of spun up local instances of your thing. You could, you could, te- you could have it go to a staging environment uh, that's live, that, you know, accessible and, you know, some and on the internet somewhere, you know, with credentials, you have to use a login or something and it can type the credentials in, log in, and then go through a flow like that. So it's, it's not as good as having your own environment, you know, with your own test coverage, things like that. And I'm not advocating for doing this long term, but mm-hmm. it's scaffolding. You right. put that in place and then you can go like once you, once you have a lot of flows like that, either QA'd by people or automated QA'd by, you know, by bots or something, then you're a little more confident in going there and actually hacking that stuff to pieces and refactoring it. Because if you test enough of that happy path flow, you can be a little less scared to touch that code. Okay. I think we skipped over some stuff. So let's go. So mm-hmm. we've gone from manual tests to semi-automated tests. And it sounds like we're inching our way towards kind of an end-to-end test. And an end-to-end test lets you test the happy paths because Mm -hmm. it's hard to, if you've got something that's hard to test, it's going to be very hard to test things going wrong in a canned recording of, you know, like a Selenium test where it's going to click on a bunch of pages and take the same actions every time. And it would be hard to say, okay, now on this one, simulate a database timeout. Right. Like that would just be, more difficult. So you would have, you'd have gone from manual to semi-automated to end-to-end for your happy path. Right. And then the happy path gets you to a point where you can start considering refactoring mm-hmm. because you at least know if you would break the functionality you're after, right? The Yeah. yeah. So, so basically if it's, some some code is so old and and written in such a way that it, it is not testable in the in the traditional methods that we think it's of, of testing, um, and the only way to test that code is to refactor it to make it nice and pretty and extract the methods and test the methods piece by piece and write unit tests for those methods. Some of that you cannot do. Like there's no way to easily do that without spending just a monumental effort. So essentially, all this all I'm saying here is you have to make a path by which you can get to refactoring that code to make it testable or to make it more easily testable. So you can break it apart into tiny reasonable pieces that you would run in a testing suite, like unit tests. And until you get there, your only way to really do that is to have QA in either a semi a manual or semi automated way. Right. And the, well, we're, yeah, that's a good call out of, we're not saying do this. It's not, the best is this, this is building up a scaffolding so that you can get to the real deep work. Yeah. And it would be bad if you left this in place and just had this acceptance test slapped over all over the place. (laughs) Um, It would be very slow. It would work. You can do that. um, But it would be slow and probably a little bit expensive. It would definitely be expensive. Uh, Having Mm -hmm. worked at places that did this long term, 
there are, you know, tools and, and tests you can do and pay people mm-hmm. all over the world to do them in an ad hoc manner. And it's expensive. Yeah. And so I wouldn't go, I definitely wouldn't go the mechanical Turk route of paying, you know, random people to click buttons. Uh, because again, you can, there are tools that can do that for you currently that will build a bot to do the exact instructions. You, you don't need to, to do that anymore. That's just, that's just a burning cash. Um, but yes, either way, uh, having stuff in place to make the difficult testing of like setting up your entire, like for example, if you're trying to, um, if you were trying to do this yourself locally, like, okay, I have to spin up my database. I have to somehow boot up the application. I need to go to this page, click these buttons and ensure that after I hit create, I'm navigated to the view page where I can see mm-hmm. everything that's there. And it's all realistic, right? That's your end-to-end local test um, because you can't mock the little pieces that say, if I pass this chunk of code, a first name, last name, and address, it'll spit that back out to me. You can't do that quite yet because that's part of the entangled 2000 lines of code. You can't give it just little pieces. So you have to set up um, the, the easiest way that you can do, which again, could be this automated test way, such that I can go back later, hack that. You're not going to be perfect with it. You, right. There's no way to add that many. You don't want to spend that much time adding that many tests to cover every niche case, but just enough to where you feel more comfortable. Like, okay, I can sit here and, and take these little pieces and, you know, at least this chunk and tinker with it without being terrified that I'm going to take down production. Right. Kind of an 80, 20 or hopefully higher yes. percentage where you've got enough confidence to know that at least 80% of the functionality is working correctly after you make this change. Yeah. Okay. And it sounds like now we're saying you get the scaffolding up, you get to the 80, 20 rule where you've got some confidence and then step two for testing Brownfield or phase two would be actually getting into refactoring. Yeah. And we should, I think we should leave it here. Sure. And we'll maybe do the next episode on Brownfield testing phase two, which is refactoring. That sounds good to me. Yeah. Um, we're all building towards, all this is just building towards being able to securely change your code. And then once you can securely change it, you can make it cleaner and then write better tests. And that's the refactoring part. Right. Is there a term for, right, there's Greenfield for new stuff and Brownfield for stuff that you is already muddied. But I wonder if there's a term <laughs> for code that is written, but is also not, it's good code, code that you don't, you know, it's well-built code where there's actually something on the field other than mud and or grass. <laughs> uh Let's see. <laughs> it's not a common term because I don't know it, but we'll have to look that up for next time. Code that's not in production. <laughs> <laughs> it's all perfect until the damn user gets to it. Yeah. All right. Thank you for listening. I'm Jeffrey Sherman. And I'm Isaac Askew. And this is Never Rewrite. <laughs>